Hey y'all, I'm Sarah. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Deidre. And this is Scream and Sugar. Okay, it is my turn today. We're going to try this again. <laughs> so, we tried to record this a couple days ago, and for some reason, it got lost. The whole day was just a disaster. It was a disaster. So, now we're starting over. So. What did we do? We started recording. Well, we got to the house at what? Well, waiting on you. Hey, I had a day, okay? <laughs> I had a morning. Eight, it took us from 8 to... What, almost two? Almost two o'clock to fucking record, and then it was fucking gone. <laughs> I had to gone. Work that night and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> I gotta go. Okay, so we're gonna go back in time to 1946 in Hamilton, Ontario. So this is the Canadian case for our Canadian listener. The Canada. The Canada. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> okay, so. On March 16th, in 1946, five kids were hiking on Hamilton Mountain. They planned on having a picnic. Mm -hmm. It's not actually a mountain. It's just like a heavily wooded hillside. If anybody hears any chomping or chewing, (laughs) it is Chelsea eating a bologna sandwich. I'm going to be as quiet as I can, but I'm hungry. (laughs) Okay, so these five kids, there was a brother and sister named Faith and David Reed, and they were accompanied by Fred, Jimmy, and Robert Weaver. Okay. And their ages ranged from 8 to 12 years old. So, two of the Weaver brothers, Robert and Jimmy, they started arguing over a telescope that they had. Hmm. It was Robert's turn to use it, but Jimmy wasn't ready to get rid of it. You know how kids are. Mm -hmm. Well, things get out of hand, and Jimmy just straight punches Robert in the nose. (laughs) So... Robert's pissed, so he runs off down the hill, and uh, Fred Reed follows him down the hill. (laughs) Well, the next thing the rest of the kids know, little Robert and Fred, they're running back up the hill. They're screaming and yelling, saying that they they either found a pig or part of a dead man. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, we're off to a great start. (laughs) So, they run to the road, and they stop a car that's occupied by a couple, They tell him what they think they found, and the man driving, he goes to investigate, and he comes back, and he tells the woman in the car to go get the police, because this is the 40s, so they don't have cell phones. They can't just call them. Right. So, the police arrive just before 11 a.m., and they discover it was the torso of a man. Oh, no. He was missing his head, his arms, and his legs. So... His penis was there? <laughs> Dick just laying there on the side? We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Mm. So, the police said there was one narrow flat spot where the body was, and that flat spot is the only thing that stopped it from rolling over 200 feet to the bottom of the hill. So, if it had done that, it never would have been found. Seen it. Exactly. Now, the torso was stomach side down. So, face down, but there was no face. Right. And he was wearing one-piece underwear, like kind of like long john 
underwear. Mm-hmm. And there was no evidence of it sliding down the heel, so it had most likely been thrown with force. That's so <laughs> fucked up. That's awful. It is awful. They just chucked it, and then you didn't even do it good enough because we still found it. I know that's awful, but that's yeah. sad. that is sad, though. I'll be mad as hell. I'll be haunting everybody. Even <laughs> All y'all do be like but, that. Could you imagine <laughs> almost getting away with murder? Just that... <laughs> that those few, you know, if that if that's the <laughs> that flat part that kept it from going, uh-huh. could you yeah. imagine if you kiss him? I'd be mad as hell, like damn it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be telling y'all this story. I almost had that son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, you had. Okay. <laughs> when the body was turned over, they noticed two bullet wounds to the right side of the chest. Wounds. Wounds. <laughs> Did I say it that weird? <laughs> it's okay because y'all don't... I'll be talking all weird shit. Oh, well. Anyways, they noticed two bullet wounds to the right side of the chest and a deep gash across the stomach mm-hmm. like someone had started to cut the torso in half, but they didn't finish. Mm-hmm. So, there was no blood on the ground, which suggested to the investigators that the person had been murdered and dismembered somewhere else oh, well. and dumped there. So, two days after the body was discovered, uh, Dr. William J. Deadman uh, conducted an autopsy. He concluded that a saw was most likely the weapon used for dismemberment. And he said about the arms being severed, it was consistent with having been caused by sawing almost all the way through to the bone Mm -hmm. and then bending it so that the last unsawn part Unsawn? <clears throat> I said that right? I uh, don't know. Unsawed. <laughs> okay. I said unsawn. Unsawed part had splintered. Ugh. Uh-huh. Edmund. Ed, what's his name? Edmund, Edmund Kemper. Kemper. He did that. He was sawing I think he did. to the bone, and he just popped to the joint. That's uh. what he said. I was like, oh my god. Like eating crab legs and just popping. Uh-uh. Uh. Mm. Oh my god. Anyway. Yeah, I was like, mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. So, the cut to the abdomen was just above the belly button. It was a foot long, and he said it was so deep that it perforated the bowel in three different places. Ooh, shit everywhere. Which could be why they didn't finish, because if you perforate that bowel, it, it ain't gonna smell yeah, good. Yeah, it's gonna, mm-hmm. They probably got the math or something. <laughs> I'd be mad as hell if I was killing somebody <laughs> in the mouth. Look at this shit just flew right in my mouth. <laughs> oh, God. He said the two bullet wounds, one was an entry wound and the other one was an exit wound. I feel like I'm saying that weird every time now, but we're just <laughs> going to slide over it. And he also said that where the bullet entered was superficial and it didn't penetrate the chest wall or damage any of the ribs or anything. Why well, did I almost say, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> good thing. <laughs> Well, that's good. Well, Too bad don't matter now. He's fucking dead. <laughs> Too bad, you know. Oh, Lord. So, he's he's basically saying, though, that, you know, that didn't kill him. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> it, it went bad after that, but I that part know. was... I probably want to be dead by the gunshot wound and being fucking sobbed to death. <laughs> <laughs> he also did a urine test, and that showed 0.16% alcohol in his urine. So, pretty much at some point, that was in his blood. So, he was most likely, most likely, <laughs> pretty inebriated 
And he whenever he was murdered. Yeah, that's like two times the legal limit. So he's like good and toasted. Yeah. He, he soused. He's toasted. Okay, so Dr. Deadman estimated the man to be 185 pounds, between 5'10 and 5'11, 40 to 45 years old, and he said he likely died 10 to 14 days before the body was discovered. Hmm. And he couldn't determine the cause of death. He said it was most likely an injury to the head, which was missing, so... And he also said later that it would take a person of some strength at least 30 minutes for them to complete that kind of dismemberment. Wow. So the day after the autopsy, on March 19th, two men identified the torso as that of their brother-in-law, John Dick. A little bit about John Dick. He was born May 25th in 1906 in Russia. His parents were... Amelia and John, and his dad died during a stretch of family, family, <laughs> shit, a stretch of famine that swept Soviet Ukraine and Russia in 1921. He moved to Ontario in 1924 when he was 18. At the time of his death, he was 39 years old, five foot eleven, and 180 pounds. So Doctor Dedman was like spot on whenever. Yeah. He estimated all that stuff during the autopsy. He, like, barely lived. Yeah. Yep, 39. That's young. He was starting life. That's sad. So, John Dick began working at the Hamilton Street Railway Company in ni- in, 19- in June of 1943. <laughs> I'll get it together in a minute. You good, you good. And at the time of his murder, John was living with his cousin and his wife, and he moved in with them about a month before... Because he had just separated from his wife, Evelyn. Mm, interesting. Okay. Now, a little bit about Miss Evelyn. She was born Evelyn McLean. McQueen? McLean. 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 Mm-hmm. She was born October. October. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm loving this. We, we just got done recording Deidre's episode that's going to be out on Thursday, and we're doing these back to back because of our technical difficulties the other day so bear with us in october i just think it's funny because i feel like i'm the only one that really like fucks up majorly no i'm doing it for you (laughs) (laughs) or y'all fuck up and y'all edit it out and all my shit gets kept in because i fucking talk so much shit (laughs) okay she was born october 13th in 1920 and she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional household. So, her father, Donald, had violent mood swings and was often drunk and verbally abusive. Mm. He also worked for the Hamilton Street Railway Company, and he eventually began stealing from the company and able to feed his wife, Alexandra's, need for nice things. What a pig. Right. Because she was all about, like, society and their status and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So, it was later discovered that the total amount he stole was between $200,000 and $250,000. Dang. And in today's money, that's between three and four million dollars. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That bitch is bougie. Mm-hmm. Three to four million dollars. Like, how do you, how do you get away with it for so long? Like, how did I realize when a million dollars was just gone? Well, he was stealing uh, the streetcar, like, tickets. And they didn't have, like, 
expiration date on them or whatever so he could like sell them as new tickets and make all that money so he was stealing tickets from the company selling them to people and pocketing the money right after they'd already been paid for shut up (laughs) (laughs) damn so just to give you a little bit of an idea on the kind of person donald was a co-worker of his said that one time during a lunch break donald picked up a stray cat and he wrung its neck Oh, God. And then just went right back to eating. Yeah. Mm-mm. So, yeah, he, he, he no good. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 no good. So, her mother, Alexandra, was described as domineering, and she had an explosive temper. Evelyn was an only child, and her parents would go back and forth from spoiling her to using her as, pawn, as a pawn, and they were... Married for 35 years, and they had a total of seven different seven different <laughs> separations in that 35-year marriage. Just parents of the year. Exactly. Obviously. So, Alexandra, her mom, she restricted Evelyn's contact with other kids, and that obviously led to Evelyn's constant need for acceptance and approval whenever she got older. Mm. And she had trouble making friends in school, obviously. <laughs> And people said she was too much. Like, she always paid for everything. And it was, like, painfully obvious that she wanted everyone to like her. She wanted to be popular. So, people were like, eh, yeah. Hell, now those kids be using kids because they got money. Yeah. So, around the time Evelyn turned 14 or 15, this is when her mom started encouraging her to pursue wealthy men. She's like, your daddy having to... Scams for us to have this stuff, so you need to just find somebody rich. Mm-hmm. So when the war came, which is World War Two, mm-hmm. um, men in uniform caught Miss Evelyn's eye, mm-hmm. and she actually pretended to be a member of the Red Cross and faked her own uniform. She sewed. <laughs> what? <laughs> just catfishing people. She sewed a fake insignia on the shirt. And uh, she sewed her name on the waistband of the skirt. And by the time she was uh, 11, that's not right. (laughs) By the time she was 21, read your numbers, she was pretty much living as an escort. She, you know, had a little black book. And in that little black book were the names of many prominent men in her town. If I had the body, I'd be an escort. We would not let you be an escort. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm about to be a sugar baby or something. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> she, she catfishing and fancy mm-hmm. at the same time. Okay, so her promiscuity allegedly led to two pregnancies that resulted in abortion. Excuse me. Good. And <laughs> she did have a daughter in July of 1942 when she was 22, and mm-hmm. she named her Heather. Okay. And she had another daughter in 1943, but she was stillborn. Hmm. So she's had two pregnancies, abortions, a daughter, and then a stillborn. And she ended up renting an apartment at one point. But, I mean, she furnished it. She bought all the nice stuff for it, but she didn't actually live there. She used it more of, for like a love nest. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) To entertain her male companions. So, and I know we're going on a lot about this, 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 this. But just getting all this stuff out of the way so we can get to the good stuff. 
Okay. Okay, so John and Evelyn most likely met in late August in 1945. So they began dating, and then they decided to get married just two to three weeks after they met. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was fast. Um, when people asked her what she saw in John, Evelyn said that he helped with the dishes and helped around the house and that he often brought home things that were hard to come by because of the war, like soap chips and stuff. Oh. So, and it's also... <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to... I saw the hand. I was, I was like, trying to happening? warn y'all. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> So, it's also believed that another reason why she married him so quickly is because Heather needed a father. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, when they were getting married, her parents were separated in one of their seven separations. <laughs> her mother, Alexandra, she wasn't happy about the wedding. She thought it was too soon. And when she met John, he was not the type of man that she wanted her perfect little Evelyn to Mary, so she didn't go to the wedding. Okay, pause. Did it say how long her mom and dad were together before they got married? I don't know. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking. I'll I'll try to... They were married for 35 years. Yeah. Well, first of all, how's she going to say it's too soon when she want her daughter out here acting like a hoe? What's the, di- what's the difference? I think the main reason was because John was not the type of man she wanted her yeah, if he'd been a millionaire, she'd have been like, let's do it. But since he didn't have any money, then she was just like, eh. But I don't think she went. Are you talking about her being a whole, like, escorting and stuff? Yeah. I don't know. Did they know about that? I don't know. I'm I'm sure that she kind of knew. Whole but, like, Evelyn, like, I'll post pictures to Instagram and stuff. She was, she was really, really pretty. Well, I mean, she, she was beautiful. Yeah. She really was. Well, she could have done a lot better <laughs> for her life. But... I'll try to look up how long they were together and stuff and put it in part two. Because this will be a two-parter. I didn't say that at the beginning. Huh? Like, was she like a Marilyn? She wasn't no Marilyn Monroe. No. But she was really pretty. I know no one can, like, top Marilyn Monroe. Right. But. So, she didn't go to the wedding. And on their wedding night, Evelyn told John that there wasn't room at the house that she lived in with her mom and Heather. So... Mm -hmm. And she said that for them, they'd have to get their own house before they could live together and, like, stay together. So, on their wedding night, she gets home and she sleeps in the bed with her mom. Cool. And John leaves. So. Didn't get a hotel room or nothing. Just. Exactly. Well, so, later. their relationship wasn't, you know, too great from the, from <laughs> the beginning. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> so, their relationship wasn't too great from the beginning. Right. And on February 3rd. Before my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> is when he leaves the house for good, leaves Evelyn for good, and that's whenever he moved in with his cousin and his cousin's wife. Okay. So now we're going to jump back to March 6th, and this is 10 days before his body was discovered. Mm-hmm. Okay. So John leaves his cousin's house at 9.30 that morning, and he didn't have to be at work until 4.00. But according to his cousin's wife, Evelyn had called the day before asking to meet him. Hmm. Now, let's talk about what Evelyn did that day. Mm. So, she goes to 
the garage of a mechanic named Bill Landig. Okay. And he's known her father for a long time, and he's friends with her father. And so he would occasionally let her borrow his car, which was a 1938 Black Packard sedan. And so she picks up the car at two, and she tells him that she'll have it back by five. And he said she always returned it on time because he would go home and eat supper during, like, his shift and then come back to work. So she always had it back in time for him to go home and have supper. So, and he let her know, just an FYI, that there were two motors in the back seat floorboard of the car. Okay. So just before six o'clock that evening, Evelyn got home, still driving the Packard, even though she was supposed to have already taken it back like an hour before. And she gets into an argument with her mom, Alexandra, because she's trying to fit it into the garage. Alexandra's yelling at her, telling her it's not going to fit, there's too much junk in the garage, whatever. Evelyn keeps trying. She's running into things in the garage with the car, trying to get it to fit in there. The guy's garage? No, at her house. Okay. This is at her house. Well, she eventually gives up, and she leaves, and she does drop the car back off at Bill Landig's house about 7.30. Mm -hmm. And she leaves a note that says, I'm sorry I was late, Mr. Landig, but my little girl cut her face, and I had to take her to the hospital for stitches. She got blood on your seat cover and your cushion, and I will replace them later. Okay. So, Landig gets back to his garage about 30 minutes later, and later on in the night, he puts the Packard in his, in his garage, and he notices that there's mud all over the car, even on the roof, and he notices a dent near the fender in the front from where she was trying to fit it in the garage, and she doesn't, you know, Damn. mess it up. It. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, there's blood in here. It's like, bitch, what about this dent in the side? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and he also noticed that a blanket that he kept in the front seat was gone. And when he put his hand in the middle of the seat for leverage, it was damp from blood. Mm. And he didn't think anything of it because her note had said that, you know, Heather had cut her face. Why, she almost bleed out? I know, like, soaky. A lot of blood for cut face. She, like, ran into a glass door or something. Yeah. Just laying face down on the damn seat. I'm talking about how I'm dumb. That motherfucker sounds dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Which which one? The Mr. Landig. Mr. <laughs> Landig. So the next day on March seventh, at this point, John's cousin and his wife that he lives with, they're not really concerned because they said that sometimes if he had a longer than normal day at work, he would just sleep at the office and come home the next day. So they're not too worried about it. And they thought maybe him and Evelyn had made up, so he was back at her house. Well, on this day, two workers that patrolled the Hamilton Mountain Ro- main roads, they would like look for potholes, potential landslides, stuff like that. Well, they're on their way up there to do some repair work, and they notice a blood-stained men's shirt in the middle of the road. Uh-oh. So they thought it was odd because the shirt was buttoned and the sleeve seemed to have been ripped or cut off, and there was a lot of blood around the collar. Oh, of the shirt. Mm-mm. But, you know, they thought maybe there had been an accident, even though they didn't see any, like, tire marks on the shirt. But they decided to just, you know, kick it to the side in a oh, shallow ditch. That looks, that looks 
very odd. It's all right. We'll just kick it to the side. That's fucking dumb. Yeah, they're like, we'll just leave it here, and if we hear anything, we'll report it. You know, it should be easy enough to find whatever. I feel like Albert Einstein right now. (laughs) Compared to some of these people. Um, A car dealer that same day, he goes to Landig's garage, and he's wanting to buy a motor. Mm -hmm. So Landig shows him the two motors that are in the back of his Packard, and when he does that, he notices a wool sweater. It's damp and it has dark stains. And it also has a couple holes and tears here and there. Mm-hmm. And that is in between one of the motors and the back seat. And he assumes that the stains are oil, so he shrugs it off and tosses it to the side. Well, Just nobody All right. <laughs> thinking nothing. Well, the day after this, I know we're kind of jumping around a lot, but... Stay with me. We're here. On March 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, today. This is... Yeah. <laughs> in 19, on, today, in 1946. What, 80? Today in history. 90. Um, it's odd numbers now. <laughs> I can't help you to hear. <laughs> well, on this day, this is two days after Evelyn had borrowed his car. Mm-hmm. And so Alexandra and Heather, they went for a walk. And they usually passed John's streetcar. And they didn't see him on that streetcar that day. Mm-hmm. So when they get back home, Alexandra mentions it to Evelyn. And she says, well, you'll never see him on that streetcar again. And it's not likely that he'll bother me again. Oh. So her mom's like, uh, what do you mean? And she just tells her to, you know, shut your damn mouth and keep your nose out of my business. Why are you talking to me then? Just come, <laughs> go ahead and call me Albert. <laughs> you'll never see him again. Oh, will Dumb. Just dumb. What do you mean? <laughs> Mind your damn, keep your damn mouth shut. Okay. <laughs> so, the next day on March 10th, at about 8.30 that night, Evelyn gets to Landig's garage again, and she asks to borrow the Packard for an hour. He says yes, which, like, you done messed it up, up got blood <laughs> in it, it's muddy, you dented it, but he says yes, and she didn't say what she needed it for, he didn't ask, whatever. And she did bring it back on time, and she... Brings it back at 9.30. So she did have it for an hour. Huh? I know where that dick came from. Where? She fucking hit him in the head with the car. That's why (laughs) I acted all stupid. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take it. (laughs) Okay. March 11th, the day after she borrows the car for an hour, she goes to the Central Police Station, and she asked a detective if her husband's been arrested. She said if he was, it'd be for stealing tickets and money from the Hamilton Street Railway Company. So, he, he does that too? Yes. Oh. He started working there. Yeah, it was, I mentioned it earlier, oh, yeah, yeah, 1943, yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I didn't know he started, I didn't know he was stealing them too. Yeah, I thought it was just the dad. So well, this he, is what she tells the uh, cops. So, she's just telling what, the, what her dad does. So, the detective looks and he tells her that there's no record of him being arrested. So she's like, okay, and she leaves. Mm-mm. So two days later, on March 13th, Alexandra finds Evelyn emptying ashes from their furnace. And she's taking them from the furnace, and she's pouring them over mud in front of the garage and in, like, ruts in the driveway, like, filling in the ruts. And she thought, you know, well, that's odd, because her father had already arranged for somebody to come and... Remove the ashes every Saturday for pickup. 
like mm-hmm. trash pickup or whatever. And at this point, um, Alexander and Donald had been separated since uh, summer of 1945. Okay. And this is in March. So going on a year, they had been separated. So Heather was about three years old. Yeah, I think she was four. Four. Technically with her birthday. So on the 15th, John's boss, a guy named Raymond Castle, he reports him missing. So this is nine days after she had borrowed the car and all that stuff. Right. Um, He told Donald, Evelyn's dad, that he was going to send police to Evelyn's house to look for him. And he said that Donald seemed panic. And he said, for God's sake, don't send the police down there. I'll find out where he is. Uh Uh-huh. I bet you will. Weird. Two days after this, this is a day after the body was discovered, one of the workers who found that shirt in the road, mm-hmm. he heard about the body being discovered, and he does the right thing, and he immediately called the police, and then he took them to where it was, and they do get the shirt back. So luckily, <laughs> luckily they did find the shirt. Okay, so... He did the right thing nine days later. <laughs> so he did that the day after the body was discovered. And then the next day, this was the same day that uh, the autopsy was done. Okay. Evelyn calls John's brother-in-law, and she asks where he is, and she's complaining to him that he owes uh, a total of $500 to different people. Mm. And today, that's like $6,700, about $6,700. Okay, so a lot of money. Yeah. So... It seems like she was trying to act like she didn't know anything because this was right after the body was discovered or like putting it into people's heads that maybe he ran off trying to get away from all those people he owed money to. Uh So the day after this, March 19th, um, after they had found out who the torso belonged to, police go to Evelyn's house to notify her that it was her husband and to execute a search warrant. Okay, so when they get to her house, she tells them that the last time she saw John Dick was on March 4th. So when they told her that the body that was found was identified, when they told her that the body was identified as her husband, she says, don't look at me, I don't know anything about it. Okay, man, we're just trying to tell you your husband's dead. Yeah, so they're like, okay, so we're going to take her and her dad down to the station for questioning. Your ass is suspicious. (laughs) I don't know anything about it. (laughs) Okay, so they take her and her dad down to the police station for questioning. And two officers, they stay behind to execute the search warrant. (laughs) I'm saying, I'm just... I'm sliding over it now because I, I can't it. I can't stop and apologize every time. <laughs> <sighs> Lord, okay. Anyways, You're laughing. I'm just I'm laughing at me. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Let it happen. Okay, so two officers they stay behind to execute the search warrant, and in Evelyn's purse they find two bank books that are Evelyn's. And she has a total of almost $11,000. Damn. How much does that say? Today, I'm glad you asked because, I mean, I'm glad I looked it up because you would ask me, like, I don't know. <laughs> Today, that's more than $145,000. Oh, okay. But it's just weird that she's like, he owes this person this much yeah, and he owes like us for check. this. Like, you got $145,000. Yeah. 
In today's money. Yeah. Six, seven, right around check, boo. In her purse, they also find a picture of a man named William Bill Bohosik. Mm-hmm. So, in my notes, I have, who's Bill? Yeah. <laughs> Bill, no, I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That motherfucker's still living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, <laughs> he on TikTok, too. Mm-mm. Oh. I'm doing a little science project. Take me back to elementary school. When they roll in the I was supposed to say, TV, in that TV. You knew it was going to be a good day. Yes. yes. That room up that, well. <laughs> that motherfucker rolled up in the classroom. You knew, you knew. <laughs> it was going to be a good day. <laughs> okay, so who's Bill? Okay, Evelyn met Bill Bohosik in June of 1944. And at that time, he was dating a woman named Helen, and he immediately thought Evelyn was just the bee's knees. He was, he thought she was very attractive, which she was. But I was gonna say from the way you talk, she she is. But Bill uh, married Helen a month later, but they eventually split up. Bill married Helen. Yes. Okay. <laughs> married no, I Helen. Said that. <laughs> In the spring of 1945, so about a year after their initial meeting, mm-hmm. Bill runs into Evelyn again. And she gives him her number, and he could never get an answer from her. He called like three times or whatever, so he just stopped calling. Hmm. Well, then they run into each other again in October of 1945. He asks her out, and she says yes. Just and me. she doesn't tell him that she just got married. Hmm. Ratchet. So there's some holes in the stuff. There's some holes. <laughs> Start taking them to the whole cart, man. Thirty-five, three, seven, eight a week. Well, if I pull things, make that pull up three weeks. Okay. I have to get that on my sister. Okay, so they go to a hotel. They have some drinks, and then they had another date um, at the park the following Sunday with Heather, and they took pictures. And one of those pictures is the one that they find. In Evelyn's purse when they do the search warrant. Wow. So she tells Bill on this date that her car's been stolen, even though that's not true. She was like cut off or something. Just and lying to everyone. And so he tells her that she can use his car whenever she needs it. On October 17th, they have their third date, and this is when they get down and dirty. This is and when this, the sex happens. Oh. And this is before. He's killed, right? This is that year before? Yes. This is October the year before. Okay. And he was found in March. Okay. Hmm. So, well, it turns out John had been keeping an eye on Evelyn. And he found out that she'd been using Bohozik's car. And so he tells the watchman, like where Bill works, not to give Evelyn the keys anymore. He's like, hey, that's my wife. Don't be giving her no other man's keys. Mm-hmm. Um, so one day he actually confronts Bohozik, and according to the watchman, it wasn't like anything crazy. They weren't fighting or anything like that, but they talked, they smoked a cigarette, whatever. Uh, John leaves. Bohozik says he didn't know she was married. You know, he'll end all contact with her. Everything seems fine. According to Evelyn, Bill Bohozik calls one day. Her house, and he says he's going to get John because John's going around town telling people that he's still 
messing with Evelyn. Also in February, in February, Behozik was worried that John was unraveling, as he worded it, so he buys a 32 caliber revolver. So this was about a month before John was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, John and Evelyn, uh, their marriage, I'm going to tell you why it ended. Okay. For starters, the love triangle I just told you about. Right. But also, John apparently was always asking for money from Evelyn and Alexandra. And one specific time is when he wanted to buy a house for them. And he needed uh, $1,200 for a down payment, which is like eighteen thousand, about $18,000 today. Well, first of all, you can't borrow money from your wife. That's your fucking money, too. Y'all married. <laughs> anyway. Well, Evelyn wouldn't give it to him. And soon after this, Evelyn bought a house at 32 Carrick Avenue, and she bought it for $6,300, which is like 94000 today. Mm-hmm. So a pretty good yeah. chunk of money, but she couldn't, she wouldn't give him money to buy them a house, but you know, whatever. Yeah. And she lived there with um, her daughter, Heather, her mom, Alexandra, uh-uh. and John. <laughs> Why is uh-uh. she going everywhere? So John didn't. Uh, get along with Evelyn's parents, obviously, and especially, no, especially Donald. Uh, people said they often argued, and on one occasion, a coworker overheard them arguing. And because John had told Donald that he knew that he was stealing from the company, and Donald supposedly threatened to shoot him. Hmm. But he be doing it too, though, right? Well, that's what Evelyn said. She fucking lying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, her ass lying. <laughs> well, lying. you know, John and Evelyn, they continued having arguments, you know, similar to the one I told you about. You know, money issues, stuff like that. And at one point, Evelyn obtained a separation agreement, but John refused to sign it. So John eventually left for good on that February 3rd, whenever he moved in with his cousin. Okay. Okay, so now we're going to jump back to when the police told Evelyn... The body was her husband's. They take her down for questioning. Okay. Mm. So, at the police station, this is what Evelyn tells them. She tells them that she borrowed the Packard on the 4th, which is two days before he went missing. And he, uh, she goes to the Astor Hotel, and she sees John Dick there, and he tells her, you know, get the hell out of here. So, she leaves. She drives around the block, and by the time she gets back, John's gone. And she tells them that she did borrow the car again on March 6th. She said she was alone. She shopped for paint and shoes. She goes home, drops the paint off, and she returns the car at 6.30 that evening. Which isn't true because she actually dropped it off like an hour later, around 7.30. And she did tell them about the note she left for Landig. And she said that that was the last time she borrowed the car. Which also isn't true because remember she borrowed it. For an hour on the 10th. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So, just lying. Why are you always lying? So, now, <laughs> investigators tell her that she's being detained in connection to the murder of her husband. Yeah. But there aren't any formal charges yet at this point. Okay. She agrees to be interviewed, even though she doesn't have a lawyer present. And this is the story that she tells them. Oh, God. You can't wait to hear this. Get ready. So, she tells them that in December, an Italian man comes to her house, and he tells her that John's been seeing his wife, 
and that he's there to straighten things out. And if he didn't stop, he would fix him. And the man also said, one way or another, we get him sooner or later. Okay. Just blaming on Italians. She said she hadn't seen or heard anything else about it until March 4th, the day she saw, saw blah, blah, <laughs> the day she saw John at the hotel. Remember, and went around the block and he was gone. Right. And she says that about 4.45 that day, she gets a call from a gang member from Windsor, which I looked it up because I was like, how far is that? It's roughly uh, 188 miles or like three hours from Hamilton where she oh, was. Wow. Okay. She said the gangster tells her that they caught up with her husband and now the man that came to see her paid them to put John out of business because he had gotten his wife pregnant. Oh. She then says that the gangster gave her instructions to drive to Land to drive Landig's Packer to meet them. So she gets there and the gangster, this is a different one than the one that was at her house. Okay. So a different gangster arrives with another man in a 1941 or 42 black Oldsmobile. Only one man gets out and he walks up to her window carrying a heavy sack, a heavy sack, and he tells her that he needs to get rid of it quick. And she says, you better not use this car. But he ignores her. Like, okay. <laughs> That seems legit. Like, there's this gangster telling you that he's got a bag of something. They caught up with her husband. We need to get rid of this. And she's like, she has the balls to be like, you better not use this car. Yeah, not using my car. (laughs) Bullshit. Okay, so apparently he ignores her. He puts the bag in the front seat, and he gets in the front seat beside her. So at this point, the investigator stops her, and he's like, why did they leave? Why did they need your car if they were already there? In a car with the bag. Because yeah. she's lying. <laughs> and she tells him that they were short a car because part of the gang was in Windsor, back in Windsor, to get a big shipment of alcohol that was coming in, and the rest were in Toronto. So they also asked her if they had told her what was in the bag, and she said he told her it was part of John. Uh-oh. She's fucking lying. <laughs> so she continues her story. And she says that the man instructed her to drive toward Hamilton Mountain. And when they got there, he took John out of the bag and rolled him down the hill. Roll out. (laughs) Roll out. She now refers to the man by the name of Tony Romanelli, this gangster that was making her do all this. Uh And she says that he asks her to help, but she couldn't because she got sick. So she couldn't help him do this. Yeah, or, you know. It's your husband's dead body, but okay. Right. So, the investigator's like, why would they do all this extra work and involve you and have another witness to this when they already had it in their car? Yeah. And she said, you know, well, they had something else they had to do. They're like, do you know what? And she's like, no. They just had something else to do. She's so bullshit. So, they ask her if she had any part in the murder, and she says... No, I know nothing about where his legs, arms, or hands are. Oh, okay, girl. (laughs) They also ask if the gangster had a gun, and she says she didn't see one, but they're always carrying one. Like, she knew he had one even if she didn't see it. Right. Like, he's a gangster. Of course he had a gun. She then says she didn't want to talk anymore because she was worried that the gang was going to come find her, and she'd be next. Right. 
Well, the investigators are like, when they called you, by the time you got there, they could have already disposed of the body. So why would they do that? And she just keeps saying, well, they had something to do. Well, what they have to do? (laughs) What is it? So they asked her if she could describe the men, you know, the one that met her and did all that, and the one that came to the house. Mm -hmm. And she was very specific about the men that came to the house, saying he had dark Italian features, a dark overcoat, flashy tie, and she said he had a gold cap on one tooth. But she was very vague on the details about the man who dumped the body. Yeah, she said she was he longer. was Yeah, she was she said he was short and stocky. He had the same shoes and suit as the investigator that was questioning her. <laughs> like, just like, like yours. yours. She and he <laughs> uh, he had a suit like yours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he conveniently had the same texture of hair, combed the same way as the investigators. Oh, and he also had the same ring like the investigator was wearing. Oh, my God. So, it's, it's pretty handy that he was so similar looking to the gangster, you know, to help jog her memory. My God. It's crazy. The same day, on March 19th, the police impound Bill Landig's Packard while executing search warrants. And they found, at Evelyn's house, the blanket from the front seat of the Packard mm-hmm. that she had washed, by the way. Mm-hmm. They found John's gold watch, and they get the dress that she was wearing on March 6th. And at Donald's house, they find a thirty-two caliber revolver Mm -hmm. and ammunition. Mm -hmm. So, they planned on conducting more searches the next day. So, to keep Evelyn, they charged her with vagrancy. Which is weird because when you look it up, it pretty much says vagrancy is like for being homeless, like wandering place to place and not residing anywhere right but apparently they use it used it then as just like a catch-all just to hold them in while they gathered more evidence for like the real crime they wanted to charge them with okay so on march 21st this is two days after her first statement Mm -hmm. the police go to behozik's house and they seize a 32 caliber revolver Mm -hmm. everybody's got a 32 caliber revolver yeah and this is the one that he purchased a month before. The one that he said he bought because he thought John was unraveling and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But they did forensic tests later, and it confirmed that it hadn't been fired for some time. Okay. So, and Behozik said that he only bought it for protection, and he didn't even know how to load it or fire it. Why can't protect yourself if you don't know how to do anything with it? Exactly. he's lying. <laughs> well, the police take him in for questioning at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, it just so happened that Evelyn was at the station that day to sign her statement, and she overheard about Behozik being brought in for questioning. So, this is when she asks if she can add to her previous statement and revise it before she signs it. Mm -hmm. So, this is what she adds to the whole story about the gang member and all that stuff. She tells them about her infidelity with Behozik and about the confrontation that Behozik had with John at his work when he found out that he was messing with Evelyn. She also tells them that Behozik had previously told her that he was just watching for his chance to get even with John. Mm-hmm. She says that Behozik had asked her for $200 down payment for that gang from Windsor to take him out. But she says a week later, he gives it back, said, you know, the gang was too busy to take him out, but he'd come back 
to get the money when they're not busy, when they have time to take him out. He'll come back for the money. So she's saying Bill asked her for money to kill her husband, and she gave it to him. Yes. And then he gave it back and was like, well, they're they're busy, so. Yeah, I'll come back whenever they have time to kill him. So she's admitting that she gave money for the hit. Mm -hmm. Well, so she also adds a bit to the story of this Tony Romanelli, Romanelli, the guy that supposedly made her go with him to dump the body. Mm -hmm. Now she says that Romanelli uh, threatened her with a gun and a scalpel. (laughs) <laughs> Which, in her first statement, she said she never saw then, remember? Mm-hmm. And on the drive, she adds that while they're driving, he tells her this whole story. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, she says that Romanelli tells her that him and an accomplice met John at the hotel. They had eight or nine bill, bills. They had eight or nine beers, <laughs> and they left. They drive to the mountain, and they drink more. Then they leave the mountain, and they go to a deserted road, and then they drink more. And at this point uh, in the story, the guy allegedly told her, John's getting upset because he's supposed to be at work at 4 o'clock. And she said that he, uh, that he told her that the car was stuck in the mud. And so John accused those two men of purposely making him late for work. Mm-hmm. And so this leads to an argument, and this is when they killed John with two shots to the back of the neck. But he was shot once. Right. But they don't have the head. Oh, in the back of the neck. We just have the chest. Yeah. Okay, yeah. There was one shot in the chest. Yeah. Oh, and she says that Romanelli tells her, oh, by the way, Behozik is paying us, paid us to do this. So just. Yeah, I know. So this gangster. That did all of this is just spilling all the tea, all the details. It's exactly what happened. Yeah. So that's what she tells him. And so the police ask her if she knows where his limbs are. And she says, I understand that they were burned in a furnace. Mm-hmm. So apparently he tells her this too. Mm-hmm. After she done fucking got the ashes out. Exactly. So while she's giving this revised statement, her lawyer arrives to talk to her before she signs it. <laughs> He's and like, shut the fuck up. Like, hey, he's, he's trying to get Shoo. to her. Like, I'm trying to save your life. <laughs> well, he says that when he gets there, investigators were pretty much like giving him the runaround. He said that they told him, well, you need to go talk to Behozik first, and he's down in the cells. So he goes to the cells, and they're like, no, you can't talk to Behozik. So then by the time he gets back up to where Evelyn is, she's already signed her statement. So he's saying, you know... They're giving me the runaround so they can get her signature on that and use it. Mm -hmm. Well, while Evelyn is giving her second statement, police are doing a more thorough search of her house. And they find a basket containing ashes. And they noticed stains on it that they thought to be blood. And they noticed where Evelyn had dumped those ashes in in front of the garage and in the driveway. Mm Mm-hmm. So they take those ashes out to the garage. They start sifting through them, and they find what looks like bone fragments. I knew and in the driveway ruts where she had dumped more of them, they found the stump of a human tooth. Yeah. And they also noticed blood stains on the garage wall. Ooh. So they took samples of that. And they ended up locking it and taking the keys with them, so nobody else can get in there. Mm-hmm. They're like, mm-hmm, "We coming back." Um, 
this was, I think it was three days. Yeah, three days after this, Dr. Deadman examined the bone fragments and concluded that in those fragments were pieces from a human leg, thigh, upper arm, and skull. Oh, the parts that are missing. Mm -hmm. I move it. He also tested the blood samples and determined that it was type O, which is the same blood as John Dick. Because back in the 40s, they don't have like DNA, so they can't say this is John's, but yeah. they this can match the, the blood types. Right. Okay, so during this second search, in the attic, they also find a beige suitcase. And they try to, they had to pry it open with a screwdriver. When they did, they were hit in the face with a strong odor. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. So, inside the suitcase, <laughs> Chelsea's face. <laughs> Is it the penis? <laughs> If it's a dick in the box, uh -uh. I'm going to be dead. <laughs> Inside, they find a burlap bag, burlap bag covering a small wicker basket. Inside the wicker basket, they find a cement-filled cardboard box, and it's got pieces of clothes sticking out of it. We could go. Yeah. So they ask Alexandra who owned the suitcase, and she tells them that it's Evelyn's. So they take the suitcase to the police station. They very carefully, they chisel away at it. <laughs> Inside the cement, they find a brown skirt with the name Evelyn Dick on the band. Mm -hmm. The catfish skirt. Mm -hmm. Wrapped in the skirt. No. <laughs> was a shopping bag. Damn it. Lord. They fucking wrapping this motherfucker. <laughs> Any guesses as to what was inside the his shopping penis. bag? His penis! His penis. Is that your final guess? I think it's his head now. Mm, it probably had his fucking penis. But that's my final answer. Penis final answer. Regis. <laughs> penis final answer. Regis. R.I.P. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to say the head just, just to give us two different ones. Okay. Inside the shopping bag, they find the partially mummified body of a newborn baby. <gasps> Ooh, the gasps were real. Wait a minute. With a string looped around its neck, and it was so decomposed that the left foot and ankle were both missing. What? Uh, what the fuck? So, okay. Now, wait, when was she catfishing people? Wasn't that like right before she met John Dick? Mm hmm. So, what the fuck is going on? How's all this shit in there with this baby? Well, remember you said, is that the stillborn? No. Okay. Yeah, no, I said that was before she got with him. Well, Wasn't she had it? two abortions. Mm hmm. And then she had a stillborn. After she had one of them. I'm about to say, that fucking psycho bitch. <laughs> My God. Where's this penis? <laughs> Where's the dick at? <laughs> I need the dick. <laughs> Where is the dick? Okay. Okay. So that is where I'm going to leave y'all for part uh, two. <laughs> they do this every year. <laughs> I... Uh. I 
can't wait this long. How like, the fuck you going? I need to know what happened. What's going on with this baby? That's mad disrespectful. Well, I didn't want to have like a two hour long episode. Yeah, yeah. Leave you on a cliffhanger. Mm. So you, you can theorize. Get a cliffhanger and put it up your booty hole. <laughs> I guess we just gotta deal with it. We'll try to get it recorded and released at least by the end of this week. Immediately. Immediately. <laughs> Immediately. But we'll have Deidre's coming out on Thursday. Yeah. So you'll have something if we don't get ours done, our second part done before then. Something to hold you over. Well, I hope y'all are intrigued. Yes. <laughs> where where this baby come from? Where's you'll the dick? Find out. <laughs> Is his dick in a box? Well, we hope you keep. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening. We hope you keep listening. And remember to keep it.